and welcome to this week's Monday episode of Our Small Holding Life, Warts and All. I thought I'd talk about self-sufficiency <laughs> and um, what exactly are we self-sufficient in? You may be asking because for all you know we might only ever eat potatoes, carrots and apples. Might be it, that might be all I grow. It's actually not, I grow a vast array of <coughs> of produce. Uh, to try and keep us going as much as possible. Um, So I'll start off with the fruit that I can think of. Um, Orchard fruit, so plums, apples, pears, cherries. I do have an apricot tree that sometimes bears fruit and sometimes not. And a peach tree that's never borne fruit yet. I've got figs as well. Um, Then bush fruit we've got uh black currants red currants gooseberries raspberries red raspberries and yellow raspberries summer raspberries and autumn raspberries uh, strawberries obviously in abundance all the time um and i've got i've actually got a kiwi growing which hopefully is going to bear me one tiny little kiwi this year and mostly it flowers so early that the frost gets it and so we never end up with very much well any at all actually as yet um there's rhubarb and i've got things like chokeberry honeyberry uh and that as well um i think that's about it for the fruit our our plums we always completely self-sufficient in plums the plum trees are abundant every year they're dripping literally the tree is dripping with um, gorgeous victoria plums every year the apples um probably every other year they're not so good every year but every other year we usually get a decent harvest from those uh then on to we come on to sort of the salady fruits and things which obviously we can't keep going all year but i do grow them we have um peppers chilies cucumbers tomatoes melons uh trying to think what else there is and then i have things like basil coriander um the 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 sort of the more the herbs that can't stay out all the time so tender herbs i suppose they are um coriander dill uh things like that and then on the um vegetable front there are potatoes uh, carrots, peas, beans, swede, beetroot, uh, broccoli, purple sprouting broccoli, different types of brassicas, depending on what I'm feeling like that year, but it can be cauliflower, uh, um, you know, broccoli, as I say, uh, sometimes sprouts, Brussels sprouts, I'll have a go at, depending on what I'm feeling that year, what's going in, cabbages, um i've got i've just harvested onions garlic and shallots that normally would keep us going all through the year but this year they've got a a tiny little grub in them so i've had to pull them early so that the grub doesn't ruin the whole onion which means that they they haven't died off properly which means they won't dry off properly which means they won't store properly so i'm going to have to uh process those in by way of um, doing doing something with them. Not quite sure what yet. I'll round up the things that I've 
totally forgotten in amongst all of that and then move on to the next section so i've got things like asparagus and artichokes as well and blueberries i forgot blueberries in in amongst all that um and I've, and then there's the herbs you know an abundance of mint lemon balm um fennel lovage sage oregano thyme uh, all that all of those type of things plus i've got a couple of olive trees which i uh yet have olives off of i've i had a tiny olive on one last year forgot to pick it and the birds got it the other olive tree was been out the front and every time it developed tiny little olives the birds pinched them off so i've now moved it into the fruit cage so that they can't they can't take them off uh, and oranges oranges and lemons um the lemon tree has produced lemons but they weren't particularly very big and they weren't very nice looking it didn't produce anything last year, but I did have two amazing, and I mean amazing, oranges. Um, so it's possible to grow oranges in the UK. Obviously not nets and nets of them, but they were absolutely delicious. And I was chuffed to bits to be able to grow a couple of oranges. Uh, and I have, did I say horseradish? I've got things like horseradish growing as well. So, and rhubarb, um, the things that, you know, uh, perennial. Um, and then there are... Oh, and sweet corn. Got sweet corn growing too. And then there are thing. Then we go on to the squash family because we obviously grow courgettes. Uh, I try to grow pumpkins every year. That started off just trying to grow them for the children, for the grandchildren, really. When I had grandchildren, and now I uh, this year I've got a lot of squash plants in. They're not in the vegetable garden. There, I've planted them elsewhere. But I have um, uh, butternut squash, spaghetti squash, banana squash, um, pump. You know, pump. You know your, your traditional sort of Halloween pumpkins. Then I've got like the Crown Prince pumpkins, which are or squash, which are um, blue, the blue ones. And I've got a, an assortment of other ones that I just picked up the seeds for. And I, they're just like they're they're edible, but they're all different shapes and sizes. So I've got those as well. Uh, that's kind of what I've got growing this year. And uh, yeah, it take it takes a lot of looking after. Um, oh, potato. Yeah, I did, I did say potatoes. Potatoes are nearly ready to have a, a delve underneath and see if see what's there but and some years you get really good successes um and you can be self-sufficient in that product all year like we have had years where we have had enough potatoes to carry us right through the year and we have not had to buy any potatoes at all they stored well and they you know they did well and we've done we've done that a lot of uh, beans runner beans if you know Runner beans grow in abundance once they get going, so we have plenty of those. Never bought runner bean from the shop for years. Um, the fruits, obviously, we're pretty self-sufficient in those. There's usually an abundance of those, enough to freeze, which will last you the year easily. So I don't have to buy any of those. And things like apples and pears, <coughs> they will store fairly well uh, through the winter depending on how you store them and how good the condition they are in in the first place but um sort of I suppose about well I suppose from February if I want apples and pears I'd then probably have to start buying them because they're a little bit shriveled by then um so that's not much use really but uh, yeah most things the storable things you know we store as much as possible 
in order to use, not have to buy any of it. The other stuff is all processed for the freezer, like the tomatoes, for instance, I will, uh, you know, I will get tomatoes, garlic and basil, which I'll grow. Um, what did I just say? <laughs> I don't even know what I said. Tomatoes, onions and garlic and basil and perhaps chop it all up and whiz it all up, um, cook it all up and store that as a, you know, as a, as a tomato base for something I'm going to be um, cooking. A lot of other things I do is I tend to make up what I call a soup bag um so especially towards the end of the season where where the you know the veg is getting a little bit tired so I'll, I'll get in root veg that's not looking its best I mean you wouldn't want to but you wouldn't want to waste it because you know I if I if possible I always buy the wonky veg in in the supermarket because there's absolutely no need to have you know straight carrots and and things it's they taste just as good um so we get, you know, we get wonky veg quite a bit here because that's the nature of stuff, really, when it's growing. It likes to grow how it can. So anyway, I will make up soup bags, what I call a soup bag. So I'll get whatever I've pulled. It could be um, turnips, swede, carrot. It could be anything. It could be a bit of chard, some kale, uh, anything like that with an onion. Chop it all up and I will freeze it... Um, like I will open freeze and then bag it up so open freezing is just laying it out in a thin layer so that when you come to freeze it if you froze it all together it'll just be a lump but if you open freeze you can put it in the bag frozen and it, it's easy to get bits you know if you put it in a big bag you can tip a little bit out at a time depending on how much you want so I, I tend to do soup bags which are brilliant you know I love those and they're a great way to get them um, lots of vegetables uh into john because he's uh, lots of not he eats vegetables he eats a lot of vegetables but he, there are some vegetables he's not keen on but i can sneak them in sneak them in there in the soup bags and uh whiz it up and nobody knows any different really so and uh and that's great that's that is what i like to do with a lot of the stuff so yeah a lot of the stuff gets processed one way or another either frozen chopped and frozen chopped and cooked and frozen um made into sauces and frozen or uh dried i have a de dehydrator so i will dry things um to to make powders or dried onion rings dried onion rings are great um but i will powder up onion or i will powder up uh mushroom like like i said in the in previous podcast and actually the reason i do that with mushrooms is because john can't digest mushrooms which we found out in rather dramatic fashion one year um he had a an ongoing stomach complaint which always it it, it was intermittent <clears throat> and it would result in him in absolute agony on the floor me calling an ambulance they would take him to hospital administer morphine and uh the problem would ease and that for, for about three years they did not know what it was and then one day he was in um pain again a lot of pain called, uh, called an ambulance they took him to hospital and a surgeon said well uh, do you know what i'm just going to open him up and have a look and they opened him up and have a look and they found three button mushrooms tightly wedged in his intestine um because he he couldn't digest them and the problem was he wasn't chewing them he was just he, he tended to shovel his food in 
and get it down. So he didn't, he hadn't chewed them. They were small button mushrooms and they'd wedged tightly in his intestine and, or in his bowel. And he had to have a piece of his bowel cut out and, um, uh, and so, and he loves mushrooms, but he's not allowed to eat them because he can't digest them. And so, it's very difficult to get some really decent depth of flavour in a stew and everything without a mushroom. So I dehydrate the mushrooms, make them into mushroom powder, and then I can add them to um, soups and stews as good flavouring like that. So that's one of the things that I do, um, and that sort of lets you know why why I was dehydrating mushrooms to make mushroom powder before. So that's a, a little idea of the um, range of, of produce that I grow um, in the garden. I'm not sure how big the garden is. We've never actually measured it entirely but it's pretty big <laughs> um it's got two polytunnels and a greenhouse uh one two three four five six like beds that are um probably oh, i don't even know how long they are 20 30 40 foot long so you know it's quite a lot plus the fruit cage and then another section it's quite it's quite a you know, a big area. Um, those are the things that, yeah, that I grow and I tend to all the time. We do, we have things like the hazelnuts, thousands and thousands of hazelnuts. Uh, we've got a huge old walnut tree, which gives us plenty of walnuts each year. And then there are things that I don't have to take any care of whatsoever that I just go out and forage, which are like elderberries and blackberries, which I, I know I do. Elderberries, especially elderberries are fantastic resource to be able to get hold of um packed with vitamin c absolutely packed and i make a something called um well, i can't even remember what it's called now but it's a a sauce that you make um and it, technically you're not supposed to touch it for seven years because that's how long it takes to develop but uh it's uh, nobody ever leaves it that long so i'll make it and leave it for about six months and then and then start using it um use it in again in stews and and gravies and to deepen the flavor plus you get a good vitamin c punch as well with it um i've also got uh wild garlic grown here it doesn't it's not a naturally growing thing i planted the wild garlic so i know that it's wild garlic and i know where it is but I planted that so that I could um, go and harvest that should I need it. And um, and I will look out for things as well when I'm out and about, you know, identify a tree that, you know, I know where there's a nice little plum tree that has lovely little yellow plums on it, which is, um, <laughs> which is, uh, which is nice to go and get those. And, you know, if I, and I also know where there's an absolutely stonkingly good apple tree eating apple tree and the eating apples are amazing samantha and i were out on a walk last year um at the end of the year and we came across this apple tree and uh, we knocked these apples down and we both had one and they were probably the best apples i've ever tasted so uh we'll definitely be going for a walk there again in in september see if we can find any more so yeah on the on the fruit and veg and nut front uh, and foraging front, that's um, 
that's our that's what we you know get most years and not every year do you get something you know you have disappointing years uh you have years where things don't go you know pestilence years years that are too wet years that are too dry um but i think that's what one thing about being a vegetable grower is uh you have to be an optimist you have to think all right well there's always next year um because if you don't you just give up at the first hurdle and and then you you know you wouldn't achieve anything that way so you do have to think right okay well that didn't work this year you know i'll I'll give there's always next year to have a go one thing i did try to grow and i've tried i think two three years in a row now um not edible but uh, as part of a self-sufficient lifestyle i tried to grow loofers yeah you can grow loofers in this country and loofers i use loofers for washing up and you know you know people use them in the bath big ones scrub your back but I use, I get the loofers and I cut them into sections and we use, I use them to wash up or, you know, as a, as a scrubby thing instead of a, a man-made sponge and, you know, and something like that. But, so I thought, well, I'll give these a go then. I'll have a go at growing them. So the first year I had a go and tiny little flowers appeared. I thought, this is going to be great. You know, I'm going to have my own washing up sponges, self-sufficiently washing up sponges. So I grew them and uh, they didn't amount to anything. So I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a go next year. So gave it a go, and I think that was last year when it was really lovely and warm, so ideal conditions, really. The plant was growing great and uh, had this tiny little loofah, which was, oh, I suppose, n- not very big, you know, um, probably about two inches long. And uh, I thought, yeah, it's going to be great. Yes. And it never actually got any bigger than that. It never actually swelled any bigger than that. And in the end, it just... It just went mouldy and rotted off. So, actually, this year I thought, do you know, I'm not going to try grow leafers this year. Maybe another year. I never say never. I never say I'll never try it again. But I, this year, I just think no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that <laughs> anymore because I've tried twice and they just. Uh, and I, but I know other people are really very successful in doing it. So, just obviously something I'm I'm doing wrong there. But I don't know what. Um. So yeah, that's that's uh, some of the other things that uh, I, I do part of self-sufficiency go out forage forage for stuff and I often wish we lived a lot nearer to the coast because that would be amazing to go out and you know coastal forage would be be awesome and I quite I quite like to stand there all day with a fishing rod and you know get some fish from the sea and and uh, things like that but maybe one day we're pretty self-sufficient in grass um and you might wonder what that's all about and I never even realised it was a thing until we came and uh, we had horses and grass is a valuable commodity to have Um, so we're pretty self-sufficient in grass as I said before we leave it as standing hay uh, for the for the horses to graze on they graze on the the green grass all year um, when they're not restricted and then uh, come the uh, autumn and winter, they will graze on standing, standing hay, which is basically dead grass. Uh, so, so we're pretty self-sufficient in that as well. Uh, we don't buy an awful lot in, uh, well, hardly anything in for the horses. Like I said, we will buy it if we need to, but generally speaking, we don't. That <laughs> we're self-sufficient in weeds. <laughs> 
which sounds really funny. But uh, so weeds convert really to rabbit food and guinea pig food and tortoise food. We don't buy, um, we do have it on standby in case we need it, but we don't buy huge quantities of food for the rabbit and the tortoise and the guinea pigs because we have plenty of weeds here. Um, they love things like uh, goose grass, um, for instance, and obviously they love dandelions in all shapes and forms and thistles and uh, chickweed and um, you know loads of different uh, loads of different weeds that um, people usually go around you know with weed killer and keep. Well, we don't do that, and we so we can feed ours weeds. Uh, which gives them a great variety uh, and uh, in their diet, which is great. Uh, we're also fairly self-sufficient in water for the vegetable garden. Um, we have three uh, three tanks. Uh, I think they're, they're like 5,000 litres per tank. So we have uh, somewhere near 15,000 litres of tank of rainwater that we keep uh in a tank in tanks that are all connected together and we have a pump on it and it's pumped over to the uh to the vegetable garden so um only in the years like last year when we ran out and there was no sign of any rain for weeks and weeks and weeks do we have to use the hose pipe uh for that so that's that's pretty good as well it was one important thing we tried to save as much water as we can and we've got big water butts everywhere we've got um another one that is, i think it's like three thousand liters in the duck pen um so that the ducks you know we we give the ducks rainwater they have rainwater we have uh the uh, uh, ibc tanks that you might see on some farms are the they're the white ones with the the metal grid uh, around the outside i think they're about a thousand liters so we've got a couple of those on each hut you know everywhere we've got something uh, that needs water we try to collect water rainwater to give to the animals so that we are using um less less water from the mains um if we can it doesn't always work sometimes the tanks dry dry up we've used too much sometimes john leaves the tap on sometimes i leave the tap on and then you've drained the whole lot and that's uh that's not very good but it, it happens and that's you know that's the way that's the way life goes um yeah so those are some other things that we are pretty self-sufficient in and there's probably going to be loads of things that i can think of and the thing i did remember is that the sauce is called pontac sauce so if you ever want to look it up it's called pontac sauce uh we do that's what i make with the elderberries and elderberry um syrup which uh, has come to the fore during the pandemic because i think one particular hospital were trialing um elderberry syrup in the recovery uh of covid patients and uh so we make um i make elderberry syrup which is i make a i do make a, a different another one which is elderberry and clove and it's uh i call it a winter syrup because you you know have a, you know a small spoonful of that every day to keep your keep your strength up through the winter which is is a great one but yeah it's um i think it's a lot of places a lot of people are going back to the old ways because there's 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 a you know there's got to be some 
element of um, why they used to use these things years ago. I mean, obviously, they didn't have pharmacies with oodles and oodles of cough syrup in it back then. So they they would use what was around them and what worked. And so I think a lot of things are going... A lot of people are looking back now to see what they used to do and why they used to do it. And even the science world now is sort of cottoning on to... Well, I mean, they always have anyway. I mean, you've got willow, which is aspirin and things like that. But, uh, you know, even some more of the old wives' tales, I suppose. They're they're like old wives' tales, but they must have done it for a reason. And uh, some of them were good, I suppose. And, you know, some of them not so good. But the good ones, you know, we should be delving into a little bit more and hanging on to and um, reinventing them, if you like. to continue using them so yeah that's a that's a little bit more of what uh of what i do and what i use and what we're self-sufficient in i'll go on to the next section which is um are we self-sufficient in meat uh, not any longer. Um, at one time, we were completely self-sufficient in meat. We had, as I said, you know, we did this, the cow share. We had beef, pork, lamb, chicken, duck, uh, all in the freezer. Um, and, you know, we'd raise our own chickens. And they're our own, you know, they're all, they're all our own animals. Um, that would then either go off to the abattoir and come back and fill up the freezer, or we would um, process our own chickens and ducks. I, I can do that. That's that's not a problem. I can do that. Um, and at one point, we had so much meat, it was truly obscene. I mean, it was. We had a freezer full of meat, and it was obscene. I felt it was obscene. And uh, I thought, this is ridiculous. This is, we don't need this. You know, we're, we're eating meat because we've got it um, every day. And that just, it didn't seem right at all. So um, eventually we didn't have any more sheep. We didn't get any more pigs. We didn't have a cow share. Uh, we just had, you know, we occasionally would rear chickens and we got in um, what they call a, ch- a dual-purpose bird, which is a, um, usually a, a utility bird, like a light Sussex, which is what we have, which are big enough to produce a chicken for the table and um, also lay eggs. So uh, we we had those, but we found those. The cockerels are quite gamey, probably because we left them too long and things like that, but they were quite gamey, so... Um, I think we've still got a couple in the freezer. Um, we're not planning to do any more at the moment. At one time, we did <clears throat> what they call, um, uh, you know, the table chicken. Uh, they're specifically bred um, to pr- to produce big chickens, like you buy in the supermarket, big large chickens. But the genetics on them I mean we had one batch and I was horrified I mean I was truly horrified because these chickens are genetically bred to eat 
they are eating machines. They do not leave the bowl they, and they sit and they eat. They, they have a, you know, they, they're programmed just to eat. They don't leave the bowl. <laughs> they literally don't. Uh, I know you can put them out on grass and everything, but they very often don't go very far from the bowl. So they just eat and eat and eat and they get bigger and bigger and they get big very quickly and they, they grow uh, faster than their feathers can keep them feathered. Um, so they don't look very nice. And I, I said to John, I don't, I'm, I don't like this. This is not nice. This is, I don't want these birds ever again. Um, so we don't, you know, we don't grow, we don't have them in anymore. So that's when we changed to dual purpose. But as I said, the, 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 the chickens are a bit, um, the cockerels are a bit gamey. We always, we never do the hens because we always want the eggs. So, which is another thing we're self-sufficient in, eggs. Um, so we, we, we kind of stopped doing that. And also one of the other reasons is because we, you know, had all this meat all the time, we, uh, it got, we got fed up with it. It's, you know, it was obscene. We got fed up with it. So... As it stands at the minute, we eat far, far less meat than we ever have before. Um, we try to have... Well, I try. I implement this on John. He's not... I mean, he would eat meat every night. Don't get me wrong. He would. But I try to implement, implement an, you know, a meat-free day. Um, I try to get it in a couple of days a week, if I'm honest. But And I will eat meat-free. Uh, you know, I, I would eat it four or five times a week it doesn't it doesn't bother me I'm quite happy to have something else um but you know John John is your typical male sorry I don't I, I won't stereotype everybody but he he likes his meat um so it's a bit harder to convince him that you know you don't have to have meat all the time so we eat a lot a lot less a lot lot less meat than we ever did and also because we don't raise our own anymore. I tend to buy it from other small holders rather than other than the supermarket. I mean, sometimes we do buy it from the supermarket, and I will always go for the higher welfare um, stuff, you know. And uh, but we tend to, on the whole, I will buy in packs from um, other small holders that are raising meat for a living uh, you know that's what they do so that that's what I do or I will you know find a farm shop and I will buy what, what is necessary there obviously when we can't fish is not anything you know we're about as far from the coast in the UK as you can get so fish is not something we are ever going to be self-sufficient in if you could I mean you could have a trout farm I suppose but I don't like trout so there's no good with that um, but I do, I will uh, occasionally, because we don't eat a lot of fish either, not terribly keen on fish, So, uh, but I will order um, boxes of fish fresh from the docks uh, and, uh, you know, it'll be couriered up. That, but we don't have that very often, so, you know, probably once a year, uh, just so that we got some nice fresh fish. Um, it's because it's it's again for me it's about quality it's about the quality of our of our food so so I will do that so yeah that's the meat side of it we did we used to be completely self-sufficient we um you know we've we've raised uh geese for the Christmas table um I think the year before last we had 
we had our own turkey for the first time ever and it was delicious it was truly delicious um but uh it was massive and <laughs> what do you do with all that turkey it's uh you know, well freeze it and process it and keep eating it for for months because another thing i you know another thing i suppose part of self-sufficiency is i don't like waste I don't like waste and we'll get on to that another subject because that's that's a big subject as well but I don't like waste so yeah mostly um that that covers everything we eat really uh on the self-sufficiency side I think as I say we don't we don't have dairy which is um which is a shame but you know you can't have everything and uh so we don't have that but uh mostly you know we our food is either all grown by me um or it is you know grown and looked after by somebody else on a very small scale so that's the meat side of it so that's a quick roundup of um of uh, self-sufficiency uh, how we do it how I do it. I mean, I say I all the time because it is the driving force is I is me. It, uh, John kind of comes along for the ride. Is not. It's not. It, if I wasn't here, he would just go to the supermarket and buy whatever he wanted. It's it, so I am the driving force. So that's and and I suppose really what I what I'm, what is self sufficiency really? It, it, it's different things to different people, but for for me. When the pandemic came, um, I wasn't at all worried, not bothered, didn't go out panic buying because I said, John, we're fine. Uh, we've got enough here to cobble together meals for months, you know, literally. And then when we run out of that, I can, you know, we've got chickens here. You know, we, we could sacrifice those if, if we have to, you know, if we desperately got hungry. But you know, we, we weren't ever going to be hungry. We might have run out of toilet roll. We're not so self-sufficient in toilet roll. If there was never a toilet roll in the whole world, but we'd go out and find something else we can use. That wasn't a problem. So, so I, to me, we are self-sufficient because we can manage. If the world shut down, um, we would manage. Uh, that is part of being self-sufficient and self-reliant back to the self-reliant we we can manage um not forever but we can manage and, and uh, i suppose one of the other things in self-sufficiency which is again is a different topic is when you grow food you save the seed uh, you know you save some beans back you save the carrot seed you save something that's gone to seed and you you reuse that the following year. So it, really, if there was a total breakdown in society, um, as we know it, we could still manage to produce food uh, to feed ourselves. I'd probably be a lot thinner than we are now, but we we would be able to manage. Um, and you know, and we can. I can. I can paunch a rabbit. That I can do that. Uh, you know, we. I can. I can dress. I can dress a pheasant. The trouble will be getting it in the first place because John is just about the crappiest shot you've ever come across. But um, he's only ever tried it a couple of times. But, you know, you'd, you'd hone your skills and you'd have to get good at it. So if, if, if it came to the worst possible case scenario, 
we could manage, we could carry on surviving. Um, we could live and, uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to starve. We might be cold in the winter because it'd be freezing and we'd take the raven out, but we're not going to starve. We're not going to starve. So to me, that is, you know, we are self-sufficient. We can, we can feed ourselves quite easily um, if there was no other resources available. So, yeah, to me, that, that's self-sufficient. So I'm going to end it there, wrap it up, and uh, I'll see you next time, or uh, you'll listen to me next time. And thanks for listening this time, and uh, bye-bye for now.